new year. So we're not doing that this week, which we would normally do. Uh, pretty much everything is on pause. Youth group, Bible study, etc., is is on hold until uh, sometime in January. But uh, we're glad you're here, and we are hopeful that we can uh, both worship God and hear from Him this morning. Uh, as we prepare to do that, let me have all of the important people in the room come down to the front. If you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for the children's chat at this time. Good morning. Good morning, Maddie. It's, yes, 16th grade counts too. It's been a while since I've had you down for the children's chat, young lady. But good to have you back, rocking it. Right, yes, <laughs> I'm just going to leave that alone. Um, yeah, wow. Well, are you ready for the bowl game? Yes. OU versus UO. So who's going to win? OU. Okay. Sooner. All right. Very good. Um, do you all know who in the Bible had no parents? God has no parents. Okay. What human being in the Bible has no parents? No, okay, right here in the book of Joshua, it says, Joshua, the son of Nun. See what I did there? Well, his, his parents' name was Nun, N-U-N, not N-O-N-E. Well, they had a dad. Yeah, God the Father created Adam and Eve. But you're right. They didn't, they didn't have parents. So, fair. Good point. All right. I got it. Hold on. I got to give out a couple of gold stars there. Those were good answers. Got to find that. Caden, what color do you want? Red. Red it is. All right. Good job. God has no parents. That's good theology. And, uh, Adam and Eve don't have parents. They have a parent. You want green to match your dress? Gold. Oh, I like that girl. Hold out your hand. There you go. Gold star. Good job. All right. So, Joshua had a problem. He was the pastor of all of God's people. Right? And they were called Israel at this time. And they needed a home. And Joshua had to figure out how to get God's people across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And there was going to be, well, trouble. All right? There was going to be a war. And Joshua was worried about it. And he sent two spies across the river ahead of God's people to try to figure out how, how things were going to go, right? Do you know about the spies? Do you know where the spies stayed? A girl, yes, very good. You already have a star, so no need to give you two. But um, that girl's name was Rahab, and Rahab helped the spies to get 
safely, to stay safely in her home, right? And she helped them escape safely and go back to Israel and report on how things were in Jericho. And because Rahab helped God's people, this is what the Bible says happened for her. Rahab and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Okay? So she helped God's people. She was saved by Joshua, the leader of God's people, because she helped, she was on the right side, she was on God's side. And then a long time after that, a long, long time after that, there's a book that was written in the Bible, it's called Matthew, and in the book of Matthew, it talks about the, the genealogy, the lineage of people who were the ancestors of Jesus. Do you have ancestors? Do you have parents? Yes. Do you have grandparents? Yes. And those grandparents had parents and grandparents, and they had parents and grandparents. So there's a whole line of people that you come from. And listen to this. The, in the line of people that Jesus came from, it says in Matthew 1, 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Not only did Joshua save Rahab's family for, for helping God, but she became the great-grandmother of King David and one of the ancestors of Jesus' family which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, she went from not part of God's family to not just being a part of God's family, but being part of the family that brought Jesus into the world. So do you know what that means for you? Any idea? So when God brings you into his family, he has a plan for you. He has a purpose for your life. He has things that he wants to do through you to share his love and his grace and his wonder with the world. So we come together and we worship him because of the fact that he has included us in his family. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive us of our sins. And so we are free. We are joyful. We are part of God's family now and forever, and he has a plan for each one of you that will include good things and wonderful things that will make you understand his love for you more and more throughout your life. Can I pray for you guys before you go to Hope for Kids? All right. Dear God, bless these precious children. As they study more of your word and Hope for Kids today, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lead them into a deeper understanding of your love for them through Jesus Christ. Father, Use their uh, teachers and your word to minister your grace and your truth to their hearts. Uh, grow them, bless them, and guide them, and remind them that in your eyes they are precious, and they are chosen, and they have a purpose, and a, you have a purpose and a plan for each of their lives. 
that you will do amazing things in them and through them throughout their lives. We pray your blessing over them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great time and hope for kids. Maddie, you should totally run. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. Right. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we pause as we come before your word. Uh, we open our hearts. We ask that as we read your word, you would read our hearts, that you would bring forth those aspects of our lives that we need to offer to you, which is all of it, and that you would just make us aware of that which needs to be surrendered and heard and given and offered to you. Lord, that your will might be fulfilled in our lives, that your grace might um, resonate more deeply in our hearts as the result of our time in your word today. We lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We ask for your healing mercies over those whom we know and love, that you would bless and heal and help them to recover. Uh, we lift up Joshua Johnson, we lift up Mike and Yolanda Clifton, uh, we lift up Lori Branson, and we just pray for all of those that we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures or facing uncertain diagnoses. Lord, we lift up this country and our leaders at every level of government, elected and appointed, and we pray for your wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform who are serving all over the world to protect and defend the constitution of this land, and we pray that you would watch over and protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way. We ask that you would bring them home safely. We lift up those who are serving and as a result are separated from their families during this Christmas season. And we just pray, Father, that you would be close to all of the hearts concerned and that your peace would reign in spite of that distance, that you would use us, your church, to minister your grace to those military families and to those who have returned home from their service changed as a result of the sacrifices they made. Lord, may we be your source of healing and grace for them. And Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and all over the world as we continue to celebrate this season uh, of the birth of your son in each of our hearts. And we just pray that your word would go forth through your people and, th and knowing that it will never return to you empty. It always accomplishes what you set it forth to do. And so, Father, we pray for those churches that we are connected to uh, through our denomination, through missions giving, um, and otherwise, and we just pray your blessing over them. We pray especially for those church plants that are going on in Texas right now, in Katy, in New Braunfels, and in Austin, and we pray for your spirit to be poured out in those places. Father, be with us now as we open your word, open our hearts, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we have been 
in a series of messages over the Advent season and now the Christmas season uh, that was sort of a sequel to a fall sermon series that we did where we looked at uh, different people in Scripture who at one point or another felt ditched. They felt isolated, alone, uh, abandoned, or otherwise forgotten by God or by others. And we saw how God moved redemptively into the hearts and the circumstances of his people to show up, to minister his grace, to do amazing and miraculous things in them, through them, and for them. And as the Advent season began, we turned that series toward the women in the lineage of Jesus. So these are the women who are part of that genealogy that Matthew and Luke lay out for us in the New Testament that comprise those ancestors of Jesus' family. And so we started, this, you know, sort of obviously with Eve, and we looked at her triple grief of, of having to leave the garden in which she was created and having to leave communion with God and then losing her son to murder at the hands of her other son who was then uh, banished and separated from her and that maternal grief with which she lived and then how God moved in her life to bring forth her son Seth who is the ancestor through whom the lineage of the Messiah would come and we see in her how that devastation was turned by God not taken away her pain was never um, removed but into it God moved and spoke and gave the rebirth of hope to humanity we looked at Sarah and we looked at uh, Leah and now then we on Christmas Eve we looked at Mary and how God moved in her young heart to to really understand uh, what it meant to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Mary understood that long before her son would, and God spoke to her in ways and gave her signs and promises and messages that would be her source of strength and reassurance as she watched her son die, as she lost him in the same way that mothers before her had lost their sons. And yet, Mary was the source of God's grace in carrying that child into this world. She is the one who, who literally gave birth to hope. And so we looked at, at her life and, her, and the message of her life, and today I want us to turn our hearts to another woman in the lineage of Christ named Rahab. Rahab, <clears throat> let's just say every family has their questionable members, right? And this is such a great story of redemption, not just for one person, but for an entire people, and even for us. And where does God begin but in the least likely of circumstances with a woman who has no means and who is um, engaged in a uh, 
rather tricky occupation at the time we find her. And you will hear these words uh, from the scriptures we're going to read in Joshua chapter 2, which is where I will spend most of our time this morning. And then we will just sort of jump to a couple other passages beyond those uh, as we look at this incredible woman and how God moved in her circumstances to bring about his redemptive plan. So I'm going to begin in Joshua chapter 2. For the sake of space and time, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and then uh, verses 15 through 21, I believe. So if you would, follow maybe verses 1 through 7. I may have had that notated wrong. Anyway, um, it's printed in our bulletin. It'll be on the screen behind me. You can follow along in your Bible if you wish. But here we go. From beginning in Joshua chapter 2, selected verses, beginning in verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Moving forward a few verses, then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on your head, on, I'm sorry, on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless, guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And then her immediate fate is told to us in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. This is after the battle of Jericho. You probably know the story, but the battle is over. Israel has won, and the Bible tells, tells us this in Joshua 6, verse 25. But Rahab, the prostitute in her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. 
And then, if I may, I'm going to jump to the Gospel of Matthew, where he's giving the account of the genealogy of Christ. Uh, And I'm going to read verse 1 and then verses 5 and 6. Matthew 1, 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. And then skipping ahead a few generations, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And then one last verse we'll refer to later in the message. I'll just read it now. Hebrews 11, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. You know... I feel for her. So thousands of years after she helped Israel and was redeemed and saved and brought into God's family, New Testament authors still refer to her as Rahab, the prostitute. It's like, oh, but there's something really important there. And I think the New Testament authors all understood this. We must never forget that place from which we were redeemed. That place of darkness and despair and sin and grief that God reached in and plucked us from. And so her name is almost always in Scripture followed by that truth, that harsh truth. Not to shame her, but to remind us that we serve the God of redemption, the God of hope, the God of second chances. And so if we are to hear the voice of this God in in this passage, if we are to take it to heart, if we are to be the people who dig into his word and seek to find there his will, How do we do that in these words? The first thing that I want you and I both to do is to learn how to let go of our disqualifiers. What is it in your life that makes you feel disqualified for God's grace, for being part of God's family? And if you're like me, it's not one thing. It's a big, messy pile of things that have accumulated over time, some of which still haunt me, others of which I've done a better job of giving to God and letting him deal with me through them. But we all, we all start there. And if your psychology works like most of human psychology, and I'm not accusing all of you of that, I know some of you, you're different. Um, 
But if your psychology works like that of the rest of us, these tapes play back in your head. Sorry for the younger people. These YouTube videos, these TikToks just keep repeating. These vines, don't vines repeat? Do they just keep repeating? Yeah, just move on. I should keep going. Okay, all right. <laughs> these, these thoughts keep going and going and going like little energizer bunnies in our souls. And God wants us to stop and relinquish those things that we might be tempted to think disqualify us from his grace. There is nothing that separates you, son or daughter of God, from the love of Christ. Nothing. Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we are to begin this journey with Rahab, with a, a letting go, a relinquishing of that which we might think would disqualify us. We are to know that our past is just a starting point. It's just a place from which God shall redeem us. We are to know in these words from Joshua that God can forgive anything. So think about your, your so-called disqualifiers for a moment. And these might be uh, a pile of messy little things. It might be one major life event. It could be any combination thereof. What does God want you to know? You are forgiven. You are in his hands. God can forgive anything, and God can include anyone. So, there are several things about Rahab that should get our attention. First and foremost, she's not an Israelite. She's not ethnically or genetically from the lineage of Israel. God doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't care where we come from. He cares deeply about where we're going. And so God moves in this life, and this is a war story, right? This is a story of God's prevailing will in Canaan through Israel. And who is a less likely hero in an ancient war story than a woman? A foreign woman. A foreign woman who is of a different moral background, constitution, if you will. What's interesting to me in this story as we read these words, her family does not seem bothered by her profession. This was not uncommon in the ancient world. Um, it, was, it was actually common for there to be some temple to some pagan god or goddess, and at that temple, women would come and serve and prostitute themselves and they would get a part of the offering that was made it was just a formalized crazy sick 
system, and Rahab was part of that. So in her original context, the morality of what she was doing was not all that out of sync with her culture. But when you contrast that with the people of Israel and the Ten Commandments that they lived by, the contrast could not be more stark. And so God chooses this woman, this unlikely character, through whom to work his redemptive plan. God can forgive anything. He can include anyone. Your status in this world is irrelevant to his grace. He is at work to build a people for himself of unlikely souls, of unlikely origin. He doesn't care where you come from. He cares where you're going. God pursues all kinds of people. And if you look at the way the gospel has moved throughout history, particularly since the time of Christ, but even here, it, without regard to the nationality, ethnicity, or morality of the people whom God is in pursuit of, that's how he works. And so just the fact that this gringo is talking to you about a Jewish Messiah should be a miracle in and of itself. I don't belong in God's family. Guess what? None of us do. And so here we are, evidence that God pursues all kinds of people and proof that he redeems all kinds of people. This is literally what redemption is. And what God is trying to do is he's trying to reach out into every unlikely place in this world and redeem. Maybe just one. But that one, it proves his grace. It proves his heart. It proves his capability of fulfilling his will and redeeming for himself a people. And so we are to be the fellowship of those who have let go of our disqualifiers, of those things which otherwise would have separated us from the love of God. And in order for us to be this people of redemption, we must also look to the hope that is ours. Did you notice in this story, I, I, I love this stuff. So Rahab tells the spies, okay, climb out the window, go hide in the woods. How long? Three days. Do you know anyone else who was hidden for three days as part of God's redemptive plan? And he, he just puts his thumbprint on these points in redemptive history to show us, if we're, if we're listening, that he is working out his will. And so Rahab not only tells them to hide for three days, but they give her a scarlet cord. Did this used to hang on the front of her house? I don't know, right? But now it's hanging on the outside 
window facing out from the wall of Jericho. And I don't know about you, but when I see a scarlet thread in Scripture, I want to tie it to the cross. I want to tie it to that flow from which we find the cleansing from our sin. And so let's follow that scarlet cord. Matthew chapter 1. That scarlet cord leads to a new identity. Rahab is saved apart from the rest of the people of Jericho. She is saved. She is brought into the family of God. She is not just made part of Israel. She becomes, I don't know, was it the grandmother or the great-grandmother of King David? Doesn't matter. She's in the lineage of King David, also a most unlikely king, the little guy. And so God is just working and working and working through this story to tie us to the cross, to give us a new identity as his people, to be part of the lineage of Jesus, not those who will give birth to him, but those who are part of the family that was created through his birth. And so we're on this other side of the Messiah where God is reaching out and claiming for himself the souls that will make up his family. This scarlet cord gives us a new identity and it connects us to our Redeemer. Rahab, the prostitute, is one of the ancestors of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's not just irony. That's power. That is the powerful hand of God at work in one woman's heart, soul, and life. And at the same time, his powerful hand at work in all of our lives. And so we see this scarlet cord tied from Rahab's window to the cross of Jesus Christ where we find hope and forgiveness and joy eternal. We are reminded in this story to see what God has for us through faith, to use the eyes of faith to see what God has in store for us. Rahab has very little to lose, I would imagine. But that's not why she plays her part in redemptive history. She has heard, and she tells the spies this, she has heard what God has done, how he has moved, that he has a plan, that he is the Redeemer. And so she risks everything and says in her heart, that's what I want. I'm not going to find what my soul desires in this life, in this world into which I was born. I need to reach past this place and grab a hold of this promise of grace that I can 
barely see. And I need to claim that and draw it to myself and hold on for dear life. And so she takes an incredible risk. Treason is rarely forgiven in this world. And she realizes somewhere in her heart the hope of the world is in God's plan. And I want in. And so, through the eyes of faith, we see God's will. The eyes of faith, they lead us into God's will. They allow us to see something that's not easily discerned. And those same eyes of faith lead us into God's eternal family. Hebrews 11, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She saw something in the movement of God and the people of Israel that gave her hope, that allowed her by faith to claim a promise that was not hers. Brothers and sisters, this is before you. This promise that was not yours has been completed on a cross for your behalf, on your behalf. It is a promise to include you in a family to which you did not belong, to give you a hope that you did not have, to provide for you an eternity that was not yours. We are the fellowship of the grateful. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at your word, but even more so, we marvel at you, at your heart, and the way in which your hand works through the lives of your people to repeat this story of redemption and hope and eternal life time and time again to, in every case, prove that you are the God who redeems, that you have called men and women from all nations, all tongues, all tribes, to praise the name of your Son, Jesus, to grab a hold of that scarlet thread and to know that that blood flowed for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, thank you for including Rahab in your plan and thank you for including us. Give us the eyes of faith to see your will as we study your word. Give us the filling of the Holy Spirit that we might have the courage to carry out your will. Fill us, grow us, involve us in your eternal plan that we might be a continuing part of that reaching out of your hand for the redemption of the world. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.